Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're sitting in New York City at Fisher Marant Stone, known as FMS these days. They do work all over the world, and we're lucky enough to be joined by one of their three new principals, Paula Martinez Nobles. Paula, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for hosting me in the city this week. It's been great to catch up and get a little spring air. Thank you, Sam, for having me on here. It's a special time. It's currently the middle of May in 2021. And a lot is changing right now. I talked about spring earlier, but the world's kind of coming out of a pandemic right now. It's been one hell of a year, to say the least. It's been 14 months of a lot of uncertainty, and it's been an opportunity to learn. Along the way, uh, some pretty big things have happened. And today, you and I are going to get the chance to talk a little bit more about that. Not only the pandemic, but how the industry is changing, how there's more diversity in the industry, and how that's something that someone like you, a woman who's Colombian, who's born and raised in America, has long looked for, looked forward to, and is really so much so appreciating. But before we dive into that, do me a favor, tell everyone, who's Paula, and how did you get your start in lighting? I have always loved art and math. It's probably everyone's story, right? Science and math, and then I became a lighting designer. But no, that was always me. I was always sketching as a kid. I was always drawing. My dad was a really curious person and always wanted to sketch and got me sketching at a really young age. I was fortunate enough to go to Penn State, got an architectural engineering degree and wanted to come to New York from the very beginning of my college years. And I did. I got here, started at FMS. Did you have K-Swiss, Reebok or Skechers on when you were sketching? That's my only (laughs) question. Reebok. Reebok. And Fila's. Reebok and Fila's. Did you ever have those Reebok shoes with the pumps in them? Do you remember Mm, those? I do remember those. My brother did. I don't think that I ever wore those. Okay. I can't remember if like every guy and gal, boy and girl, when you were like 10 was wearing pumps or if we walked down the mall. I did not grow up in New York City. (laughs) Be like, hold on. Everybody's got to pump their shoes. Sure, a few people are rolling their eyes at me right now, but hey, you know, pumps are cool. So back to lighting, Penn State, straight into New York City. What made you want to come to New York City when you were at the architectural engineering program at Penn State? I was actually born in New York City. I was born in the Bronx and I grew up in Philly. And one of the, probably the harder things going to school at Penn State was the, just the lack of diversity. And, you know, the program there was actually really great for the engineering students because they kind of pulled you into a group a mentorship group with a lot of minorities. And they told you from the beginning, this is your support network. This is how you're gonna survive four years, five years, whatever it was at Penn State. And it, it really was. It's how we survived. We had our best friends that were that grew up like us, that were minorities, that were from Baltimore, from Philly, from New York City. And that's how we got through it. We had similar experiences. And that was a group that was a part of the engineering school? Part of the engineering school and also just part of the architectural program. When you left college, when you left Happy Valley, when you left land of 110,000 screaming fans every Saturday, right? They say State College is the third biggest town in Pennsylvania on college football weekends. You traded up a little bit for a really, really big place. New York City, which has millions and millions of people that live here, and then even more so that commute in daily. This is a pretty diverse island of Manhattan, right? There's a lot of immigrants, there's a lot of people here, but you put yourself in an industry that probably wasn't quite as diverse as the people around it. And I don't think I realized that. You know, I you, you grew up in Philly, you grew up with 
people that look like you, you grow up around lots of different cultures and you don't realize when you start a career that you're about to enter a workforce that just doesn't have the same experiences as you. But I remember actually sitting on the train, sitting on the subway, my first year interning at FMS, and looking around and everyone had a different newspaper with a different language on it. I was just smiling, I was just cheesing, like this is so freaking cool. And I didn't know that I was gonna miss diversity as much as I did at Penn State. And then when I came here, I didn't know I was gonna miss it here either. And when you say here, you're speaking specifically to FMS. Well, no, just FMS and the industry, architecture industry, right? You would go to meetings and I was usually one of the only females in the room or, you know, let alone being the only Hispanic person to ever be in that room for weeks. You definitely realize that you're different or at least I did. I remember feeling that the words that were used around me was not part of my vocabulary. And I remember being very not confident in myself because I didn't speak like everyone else. Even though, you know, I don't really have an accent or anything like that, I felt that I did. And part of that I think is because I was I grew up in an urban environment. So to me, I did sound different. When you talk about having that different experience and all of a sudden being completely culture shocked, you'd grown up in something you were very comfortable, you were all of a sudden uncomfortable. What was the phrase or the terminology? Give us a little bit more of an example of what happened there. I would say probably pretty simple. It was things, it was conversational. Someone would say, oh, you know, we're going to have a radiating pattern in the ceiling like spokes on a wheel. And, you know, I grew up in America, but I grew up in my home where everyone spoke Spanish. And at 21 years old, I could honestly say I looked at the person I was working with and I said, I don't, what is a spoke? I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're describing. The conversation was kind of like, oh, just Google it, you know, and you, yes, you do. You should know what that is. You know, just little, little things like that, that, you know, weren't intentional. They weren't meant to be passive aggressive or dismissive, but that's how they were internalized as a young 23 year old or 22 year old. I mean, it's as simple as the fact that people sat around the table and talked about a way, a thing, a certain object or phrase because it's what they were comfortable with, because it's what they knew, but you weren't raised that way. And all of a sudden, what would happen if you said something, you know, in a Spanish language in a meeting speaking English because it was a phrase you used? Would people look at you and ask you, oh, what does that mean? I want to learn about it? Or would you even think twice about doing that because people would say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. No, and I I think that it just didn't even occur to anybody, right? I'm sure it's still the case now. It wasn't intentional. It was just words that maybe you could take for granted that aren't part of everybody's vocabulary. I quickly picked up on some of those things. I learned to Google things before asking because I felt like couldn't expose myself or make my too vulnerable and I got used to it and you know probably made it so that I was more aware of the people that followed and came after me so that when I was training people I was mindful of asking things like hey do you know what this means have you heard this before because I just remembered being in their shoes what was it like as you progressed through your career did you continue to say this is just the way it's gonna be was there a group that was advocating for diversity or is it not until these recent movements that we've seen globally that you've really finally felt like there's a seat at the table for you? I've always been interested in diversity. And I think just probably like any other college student, if you're exposed to any sort of sociology class, all of a sudden your kind of world is opened up and you're like, oh, this is why these things happen. I would say that I didn't realize that I was kind of 
bearing a lot of those feelings until probably about five or six years ago when I was asked to participate in an organization here in the city and now it's all over the states. It's uh, the Women in Lighting Design Group, Wild Group. And, you know, Megan Carroll has been great in pulling me in anytime she has an, an opportunity for me. And it really has motivated me to pay a little bit more attention to what I can do and how I can help people that are perhaps feeling the same kind of things that I felt and kind of reminding them that they belong because sometimes you need to hear that. It probably helps that I have three daughters. They're biracial, right? So I know that they are likely to have things harder than I even had them. Why are they likely to have things harder than you had them? The world is not fair and it's not what we would want it to be. And, you know, my husband actually, he's constantly reminding me not to feel like being a minority is any more difficult. It just means that you have to have a little bit more of a backbone and that it means you're stronger. And he says, look, I've just, I have to remind myself that I've been raised to have a little bit more patience, have uh, more strength and be able to carry that with me with every interaction I have. So no, I don't feel like I'm getting knocked down. I feel like I'm blessed with having to have more of a backbone or having to have more strength in how I deal with things. And I'm still learning that. I don't know that I've fully accepted it yet. Do you feel like what's going on in 2021 and 2020, and maybe I guess it was in 2019 a little bit, Does that shift your perspective on any of this? Oh, it totally did. I finally broke down this year and and, or in 2020 when the George Floyd thing happened and when the Black Lives movement, you know, started taking on a lot more momentum. It almost felt like I could have an opinion, not just with my personal group of friends, but I could have an opinion in the office. I can have an opinion in the industry. It's been an opportunity to kind of break out of my shell a little bit. Breaking out of your shell is something I want to unpack just a little bit more. I am a white male and I don't understand, you know, how a shell maybe even would be created, but I think it's important that you teach people like me that. What was missing? What was not in the world that made you feel like you had to create a shell that you couldn't break out of? Well, it was this feeling of Am I going to be judged for having this opinion? Or, am, you know, they just they just don't understand because they haven't seen it. So I won't even bother to explain it. I'm putting a burden that I have onto somebody else who doesn't see it and they're just not going to believe. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's eyes were opened up and it became like, oh, OK, now they're listening. Now we have to pay close attention because we have to seize this moment. We have to take advantage of this and be able to educate them more, educate myself more. I mean, so my my husband is black, my kids are biracial, and I felt immense guilt. And I felt like I couldn't do anything about the things that were happening. I couldn't do anything for my kids. I couldn't do anything for my husband. And then I couldn't do anything for my coworkers in our own office who are black. I didn't know how to take the pain away from them. And I didn't also realize that, you know, I was carrying some of that pain myself. You're carrying a lot of pain yourself. Everybody around you is carrying a lot of pain yourself. Black Lives Matter happens. George Floyd happens. The gentleman who was a police officer who everybody has to and can and will agree he killed him. And he's been convicted and sentenced as a murderer at this point, which is something people were worried whether or not it would or would not happen, is anchoring this. It is giving you more than a stance. It's giving you the voice, the opportunity, and the place to say, this is wrong and nobody can argue with the fact that it needs to be changed now. At this point in time, where do you think we're at as an industry of accepting that and truly creating initiatives for the right reasons? Well, it's been 
really, really exciting, really great to see all of these different organizations kind of pop up out of nowhere and say, oh, we're creating a committee. We want to do better. We want to try harder. Seeing architecture firms take a stance and say, we're listening. And, you know, some people can be cynical and they can say, oh, they're just doing it for marketing purposes. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're opening a door. And to me, that's valuable. To me, that's a start. Like we did in our office, it was, it's a start. It's a a door opening to the point where our own designers kind of felt empowered. And And I have told them that they empowered me when they started to voice their opinions or voice their concerns of how does FMS feel about this? What's our stance? What what are we going to do as an office? As a team, as a as culture, a team. Yeah. as a group, as an entity, as a brand. I mean, you are so much something, as is any organization. Right. And it's it's easy to think that maybe you're doing enough because your approach is, oh, we interview this person. They're great. They're wonderful. They're qualified. They work here now. And our office is actually impressively diverse. It's, you know, I'm very it proud is. of it. Yeah, I'm it very is. proud of it. Have we done everything we can to make it more diverse? I don't know that we have. It's been some really great opportunities. So a, a couple years ago, we had a, a marketing uh, coordinator in our team who introduced us to NOMA. And NOMA is uh, the National Organization of Minority Architects. Great, wonderful organization. And a couple of us joined and we've been able to participate in some of their panel discussions. And it has also opened the doors for us to go and talk to students that are part of NOMA, like Howard students. Howard University, predominantly um, an HBCU college, right? You know, I don't know that we would have done that 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It wouldn't have been on anybody's radar. And today we do. That's, to me, is super, super exciting. I think there's a lot that's changing. There's a lot of opportunity. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's dive more into how diversity is normal now, how it is appropriate, and how it makes sense to do it, not because you have to check a box, but because it really does make our industry a better place. Sound good to you? Sounds good. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by Ladai, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They host things like this podcast, create short videos, and help raise awareness about lighting in general. Check them out. That's lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Paul and I were catching up just a little bit more about diversity, about what it means to show up in our lives and both our personal and professional daily lives, how we interact with people, whether or not it's something people talk about, if it's acceptable, why it's acceptable, why it should have always been that way, but it hasn't been. There's one thing that's changed and it's People are looking for these opportunities. They're looking for a way to implement this for real. It's not just something that we talk about. It's not really even just checking a box anymore. It's saying this is important. This is different because the reality is we're in an industry that's been not open to this. Design has single-handedly been something that there's apparently been enough creativity in, but it might seem obvious yet we've never thought about it. How do you get more ideas? How do you do more things? How do you do things differently? You bring more minds. You bring more diversity to it. What's your take on all of this? Hopefully it's not just self-serving that it's for more ideas, for new ideas. I hope that it is. There's a little bit of wanting to level the playing field a bit in a way that allows any kind of person to 
benefit from the opportunities that design can offer, right? Whether it's traveling the world and seeing how design is different in every culture or looking in in different parts of our environment, right? And how, you know, landscapes can fulfill you in in a specific way and how it can maybe even recall your culture. There are different opportunities that we can create and Yes, absolutely. We could all benefit. And I think that's the biggest selling point that we could all benefit from more ideas from more diverse background. But even more than that, looking for diversity is not a trend. It is something that I truly believe is here to stay. But also because I think people are now more aware that individuals that maybe didn't have all of the benefits that you did need an extra little nudge, right? So I was talking to one of our designers and she taught me the difference. This is a young designer who just started working with us two years ago. And she taught me the difference between a sponsor and a mentor. And I started to realize how much of just mentoring somebody and sponsoring them, especially when they come from a background that's not like yours, affects the rest of their career, especially in diversity where you just haven't seen some of the same things or racial diversity or or even economic diversity, where you come from, how were you raised? Did you go to some fancy college, some fancy university? Do you have student loans that you're still paying on a designer's salary? All of those conversations matter and all of a sudden they become more relevant and part of what we're talking about now. When you go past the two terms of sponsorship and mentorship and you think about just like lifelong connections of two people and being able to say, hey, I'm going to be here for you. I think that traditionally speaking, you find like-minded people to do that for you. You spoke about it earlier when you went to a predominantly white college, (laughs) Penn State, Mm -hmm. and there was a diversity group that helped you out there. What's changing or what needs to still change to make sure that it's inclusive in both directions. I don't think you can force it. I think that it's a tough thing because people are going to be motivated by their experiences. You know, eventually it may be that a white person who just doesn't get it yet will come across an experience that is going to make them check their perspective. It's going to make them go, oh my God, that thing I said to my friend 10 years ago, I get it now. I get what they were trying to say to me. And at this point, we don't need everyone to believe. We just need enough people to believe to make a change. Right. We need enough people to believe that lack of diversity is a problem to make a change. Everyone doesn't have to believe it. Everybody doesn't have to believe it because, like you said, kick the door open and get things started. Right. Any sort of opportunity, maybe this podcast, maybe a conversation with somebody down the line about a comment that they heard somewhere creates that opportunity to open the door. Talk to me a little bit more about what diversity does for our industry in terms of bringing more to it. I think just opening the door for different cultures, different perspectives, different takes on life and takes on the emotion of what a space might feel like and how lighting plays a role in that. We talk a lot about how lighting affects your emotion, right? It affects your perception of a space. Some of that is cultural. Some of that is based on how you grew up, right? And when you do open the door for different perspectives, different ideas, then all of a sudden you have a larger pool to pick from, to choose from. There's a bigger pool to choose from. There's more going on. Nothing's normal anymore, right? Everything is exploding. The way things used to be done 
are no longer the way things should be done. We see this with technology in our lives. We see this with trying to put time back in our days to become more efficient. We see this with the ability to go land a robot on Mars and fly a drone around it. How does diversity create or explode the word normal into a bajillion pieces? And you can't use the pandemic as an example, <laughs> even, even though everybody is talking well, about the new normal, which is anything but normal. It's funny because I realize now that maybe the fact that there's no normal anymore, you're making it so that the establishment now has to second guess themselves. Now the tables are turned. Now they're the ones in the room going, oh, am I speaking out of turn? Should I let the woman across the table from me actually get a crack at this? Or, you know, and, and maybe take a breath and saying, let me make sure that I'm providing all the opportunity that I can and, and am I doing this right? Which is, frankly, I don't, and, you know, I don't think that this is just me as a minority, has been so much of my career is second guessing whether I'm supposed to have an opinion about these things. And all of a sudden I do, I think that's kind of exciting that the tables are turned, that there is no normal anymore and that people feel like, well, now I've got more to say and people are gonna listen. There's also this idea of echoing now that we know that we can have a little bit more of a say, now that the door's been opened. I find that minorities are sort of leaning into this opportunity of supporting each other a little bit more. And I think what's exciting about that is you are propping each other up, right? Same thing with women. Women in architecture fields where it has been predominantly men for so long, the lighting industry is a little bit different because there are a lot of females, but where you echo each other or where you point to somebody else to try to make sure that they have an opportunity to speak. That sort of culture change I think is something that the industry could benefit from. And I think that it's something that maybe our male counterparts are learning. And I would say even my white male, older male uh, colleagues are starting to figure out as well. It's tough for me to sit across the table from you and know that this is all going on and I am guilty as charged too. It's not something that was on my radar. It was something that was ingrained into me and diversity was not on my radar. Understanding what the difference was or what the language or how people talked about people was completely inappropriate and in how it made people feel. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think that one of the best things that our entire industry can do is accept our faults is accept the fact that we haven't got this right and we have screwed this up. But we can now openly all agree, whether you're part of the problem or part of the solution, and say, let's do this together. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think just the idea of are we doing everything we can? Are we helping humanity? <laughs> you know, it doesn't even have to be just about lighting design or architecture. It's are we doing what we can as humans, right? I live in New Jersey and I live across the street from a teacher who works in a really low income school district. And she she knows that I'm interested in diversity and she reached out and said, oh, hey, can I have you teach a couple of seventh graders about your career, about lighting? And knowing that lighting design is not a career that is on any seventh grader's mind, like, you know, most of us didn't hear about lighting design until we were in college. It's such a niche market. And I sat there and I talked to seventh graders that come from really tough situations. And this little girl asked, how does it feel to be a lighting designer when you're using up all the fossil fuels and, you know, are we going to have a planet after you're done with it? <laughs> she, she asked a really hard question that it just made me smile because I really hope 
that the brief, you know, 30 minutes that one of my colleagues here in the office and I spent with that class at least gave these kids the thought that, hey, there's a world out there that is open to me because I heard about it when I was 11 years old, that, hey, if she can do it and she looks like me, that means I can do it. You know, and she asked a tough question and she stumped a 40-year-old woman. (laughs) And I was impressed. And I hope that moment was just probably just an easy little question for her to say, gives some of those students an opportunity to say, oh, look, there's this whole world out there beyond what I see on a normal basis. How does it make you feel to know that you are a woman you're not white, you look different, yet you're succeeding and you're opening doors for little girls like her to say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. I'm humbled by it. It does mean that I have a compass to guide me a bit, that all of my interactions, I'm really thinking about how I can make situations better. All of my interactions with minorities and and also white Americans or black Americans or even just different cultures, right? It, It is something that now more than probably ever before, I'm more mindful of. I probably say more than I should sometimes, but I feel more comfortable in my own skin to do that. I think everybody should be able to say whatever they want. You should have to own whatever you say, but that doesn't mean you can't say what you want to say because everybody's mind is worth an idea. You know, at this point in time, we have, as an industry, had an unconscious bias to not pay attention to minorities, to not pay attention to diversity. And there's an opportunity for everybody to, I hope, correct the course, to say that it's important and to look at it. When you look across the table today and you see a diverse face, two, three, or four in the room, how does it make you feel? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So excited. (laughs) It's unexplainable. It just brings a smile to my face because it just feels like, oh, yes, we're moving forward. We're changing things. And we are. I mean, there is an initiative. You mentioned earlier that lighting has a lot of women in it already. I think lighting's a super creative field. I think men and women are both creative. For whatever reason, there is some form of a balance, but the scale still tips towards that male sector just a little bit more, right? Design definitely tips towards predominantly white people because they're educated mm-hmm. at a high level. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets you into this field. As an industry, as a design culture, we can all try and, and go out there. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you went and talked to a young group of kids, but what can we do as an initiative or as a thought or just a, a different way of thinking to try and fix our problems that we've created? Well, I think make it our problem. You know, it's so easy to say, oh, I don't know what to do, right? Because that's that's a thing out there that, oh yeah, I guess it's not accessible to most low-income families or low-income kids. Yeah, that's too bad. No, it's it's not. It, that's not how that works is you have a platform, you know, you see it in a lot of these big architecture firms where they've been reaching out to high schools and urban middle schools and high schools to teach young kids about STEM, right? Why can't the lighting industry do that? They do. Some of them, you know, it's it's part of what specific people in the lighting industry have done. And I think just opening that up a little bit more and having people now become a little bit more motivated to do something about it, right? Everybody wants to try to tip the scales a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, that guilt I think is motivating people to try a little harder and see what they can do to change things. I think it really does start super young. It's the idea, you know, a 12-year-old or even a 15-year-old thinking that they have a chance to go to college and that it's not something that it has to be that their parents have money, 
that they come from money, that their brothers or sisters or their parents went to college. It has nothing to do with that. If they're motivated, if they're interested, and if somebody puts that idea in their head early enough in life, I think that we could really make a difference. And as an industry, we need to create those opportunities. We need to also support those. We need to go out and look for that because the reality is it's super easy to hire somebody who's qualified on paper and came from the place that the person came before. But if we continue to do that, we're not gonna solve our problems. We're just gonna continue to perpetuate them. You're at FMS, you mentioned you've got a a pretty diverse team here, which you do. Anybody out there listening is curious what that looks like, just go to their website. Their photos are on the website and it shows what that looks like. What are you guys doing here to continue to promote diversity or what are you excited about what you might be able to do with the future of this company? Yeah, and some of that diversity you can't even see, right? It's not even visible in photographs, right? And I think that that's something that we as as an office probably don't even appreciate as much as we should. But yeah, the future, what the future holds, I mean, it's it's exciting to hear and to see that there's more designers that are interested in, in outreach. All of a sudden, we have a, a group of designers that are interested in being part of organizations like the IES and the IALD and their EDI committees or their equity, diversity, and inclusion committees. And it took that to get our team motivated to get active in an organization. I see a bright future in front of us. I see the idea that everyone feels like they have a little bit more to contribute. And that's that's cool. Everybody has a place. Everybody has an opportunity to be personal and professional in their professional organizations, in their careers, in their opportunities. Paula, thank you so much for sitting down and having this conversation with me. I've learned a lot today. I hope that I continue to learn, and I hope that you can continue to teach those young seventh grade kids what's up (laughs) about lighting. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, if they have any questions, what's the best way somebody can get in touch with you? Email me at pmartinez at fmsp.com. Call me. (laughs) Give her a call. Give her an email. She'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. This is something Paul is super passionate about. It's something that she's not going to back away from. And like she said, let's make it our problem. Let's not ignore it. Paul, thanks again so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Sam.